Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. We want to thank them both for their support and encouragement. Thanks to our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio. And to Patrick, my co-host. Welcome, Patrick. Hi, Mark. So nice to see you. So today's guest is Derek Carlson, who's also a sponsor of 805 Connect, the business manager at Marburg Industries. How are you? I am doing fabulous. Thank you very much. And Mark, is, is it business manager? The, 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 is, that's the exact, that's the right title? You know, that's the right title. We're uh, a little short on titles around Marburg. So, you know, you can just call me whatever you want. Uh, you know, it's more about what you get done than what they call you when you're doing it. I love that. That's a great theme for the show. So, um, Derek, I, I know you on the mat. We, you know, we're both black belts and... Uh, we, we talk about black belt type things, but uh, you have been at Marburg for, what, 15 years now? Is that right? Uh, pushing 19 years 19 now. 19 years. Yes. So I've been there for quite a while. I have been there really uh, since I graduated from uh, college out at uh, UCSB. Uh, after I graduated uh I was studying uh, environmental studies with an emphasis in uh, environmental law and uh, corporate finance, and I was interviewing with some uh, environmental consulting companies locally and out of town, and uh, one of the companies I had interviewed with got a call from our board, and they said, we have this project, we're negotiating contracts with the county, and we need some help with a recycling study. And the consultant said, well, I'm pretty busy right now, but I just interviewed some kid from UCSB that will probably work for free. Let me give you his number. (laughs) And uh, so they did, and they called, and uh, I said, I would love to come down to Marburg. Anything to stay in Santa Barbara, right? The gig at UCSB was up, and it certainly beat the alternative of heading back to the greater Sacramento Valley, which is uh, where I was from. So I uh, jumped at the opportunity, and... You know, one thing led to another, and I have been there uh, ever since. So it was a uh, great opportunity, that uh, a gift that keeps on giving. I love, I love that. Now, t- tell me a little, I mean, for those uh, in, in the area, we, we see the brown Marburg trucks, and we've got the recycle bins and, and that uh, all around us. How, how long has Marburg been around? Well, Marburg's been around since the, you know, the late 20s, early 30s, as far as the, you know, the business of picking up the trash. You know, it's really a great story. You know, the Borgatello family is Marburg Industries, started the company, still runs the company. You know, it actually began with Mario Borgatello Sr. and his uh, brother Charlie, late 20s, early 30s. Uh, They were first-generation immigrants from uh, Italy and settled in Montecito, where a lot of uh, Italian artisans at the time were settling and doing a lot of the stonework and sure, construction sure, of a lot sure. of those great uh, Montecito estates that uh, we see today. And, you know, their story is a little tragic. When they came here, their father died in the uh, Spanish influenza epidemic when the boys were, you know, Mario, I don't think was even one years old mm, yet when his mm. father passed away. And 
you know, his mother had to support them on her own. She took in boarders that were also mostly immigrants coming to Santa Barbara to find work. So uh, that's kind of how they paid for themselves. And all the kids had to help, you know, make ends meet. So uh, Mario and his uh, brother Charlie also had three sisters uh, who are all still here, alive in Santa Barbara, really? all over 100 years old. Oh, my gosh. Um, so we still have a lot wow. of the original family, founding members of Marburg uh, with us today. Those must be great company picnics. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Unbelievable. The stories, I mean, the no stories doubt, in right? the history. A hundred you know, years here in this town. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing. Um, you know, so the girls would help sew buttons and, mm. you know, wash clothes for the boarders. And uh, the boys, you know, they had some uh, animals on the property they, they would take care of, the chickens and the pigs. And, you know, one of the things they did to help make ends meet is they would try and get food, scraps for their pigs from some of the larger estates in Montecito. So they go door to door and get the scraps. And they would bring those uh, back to uh, feed the pigs. And, uh, you know, as they're... And that's, this is the origin story? This is, this is the origin. It was wow. a little wagon, two wow. boys dragging a wagon around Montecito, getting food to uh, feed the pigs. And, you know, that grew. And some of the folks said, well, as long as you're taking the food scraps, why don't right. you take the rest of our trash? You know, at the time... The How did tr- they do that at the time? I, I have no concept. Yeah. How did that work? It, they put it in their little wagon and they, you know, hauled it to to the dump, to the landfill, you know, at the time, which was uh, not quite as structured as a landfill system we have today. You know, at the time, all of the trash, a lot of it was just buried in people's backyards or burnt. You know, so you just take it out of the sure. backyard and you would burn your own trash, and that's how a lot of it was handled at the time. Um, but this started becoming a service where they would go and pick up the trash from people's houses and take it to a uh, disposal site and you know being a time of uh, you know the great depression um, they would also go through the trash and get anything that was recoverable and recyclable out of it so you know long before these vogue recycling you know facilities came into place you know it was a matter of you know life and necessity during these tough times of getting what you could out of the uh, like scrap metal and all, all of that scrap metal yeah glass and you know a lot of it was reuse of you know products that were being thrown out uh, including the food scraps which would uh, go as food for the pigs wow and now did they um <clears throat> let's say with the pigs so the pigs became food for the it family food and for the family and for it. the boarders that uh, they were keeping at the house and, oh perfect yeah yeah, so. so that was almost a hundred years ago. Uh, you were coming up on on that. How now? So the company is what ninety years old now? Yeah, ninety ish. And you then, when I say you, you've seen everything around environmental reuse and sustainability, and your whole background in environmental studies. By the way, when you were at UCSB, now this shows my lack of uh, understanding. Was the Bryn School around when you started? It was just getting started when I was graduating. I think they were taking their first couple of classes. So I graduated in 96. I'm not sure when they started, um, but it was, you know, they were getting started when I was there. So that would have been a logical place for you to to do post-grad work, right? Yes, yes, it would have. So 
what's the state of, I'm going to jump right to the kind of the today, but into the future. What's the state of the art in your industry right now? What, what are the big things you're working on? So one of the things that really changed in the industry, first of all, the industry's always been very driven by regulation, federal regulation, state regulation. Give me an example of, of one of so those. So the big driver in the industry for the past you know, many decades was uh, back in 1989, there was Assembly Bill 939, which essentially said by uh, the year 2000, we were going to be recycling. We needed to recycle 50% of our waste, and every jurisdiction was responsible for that, or they would face fines. It could be $10,000 a day. So every jurisdiction contracted with a hauler for the most part, or they did the hauling on their own, and they would put that liability into the contract with the haulers. So oh, got it. they would say, "We're the state has made us responsible for this diversion level. We're giving you a contract to handle our solid waste. This responsibility and the associated fines are now yours. You're going to indemnify <laughs> Thank us. Thank you very much. And you know that, so that's what's driven got a it. lot of the recycling business starting in 89. And we had a 25% goal in 95, in 1995, and a 50% goal in in 2000. What is it now, 15 years later? So 15 years later, there's a new uh, goal that was set by the state, and that's now 75% that we are uh, looking to hit by the year, uh, by 2020, so five years from now. But what's really changed in these regulations is before we were mostly regulated by the California Integrated Waste Management Board with recycling-type goals. Now that's been supplanted uh, by uh, air emissions, air quality goals that are much broader, but do have a lot of focus on solid waste. So in 2006 uh, was the uh, Assembly Bill 32, which is the Global Warming uh, Solutions Act, which had a wide range of requirements for businesses and the state in general. Uh, but it specifically spoke to waste management and solid waste because in the state of California, the second largest generator of methane in the state is landfills. So the second largest really? so they man-made off, generator. they off-gas? Yes. Huh. So the decomposition of all of our waste um, you know, a lot of methane is generated from that by burying that waste. Um, and, and so it became a heavily regulated area, wasted as far as air Me- quality Meaning you have concerned. to, f- it's your job now to figure out what to do with the methane? So, yes. So now Got it. to find ways to uh, reduce the waste going to the landfill, find other ways to handle waste besides landfilling that will... Other- other ways to okay, so we can't burn it, we can't bury it. So what are what? Give me another way to deal with it. Well, some of the solutions that are being looked at, and you know, there's been a lot of work done on this front uh, in Santa Barbara. You know, with the county of Santa Barbara, the city of Santa Barbara, city of Goleta. You know, all of the South Coast jurisdictions have been having meetings and studying this. You know, for the better half of the last you know, one and a half decades. Hmm. And so some of the solutions that have been uh, explored and some of them that are coming quite far along in, you know, actually coming to fruition 
is number one, developing facilities that will sort through what's left in the trash. We have a lot of very robust recycling programs in this community for source-separated recyclables. Uh, we have some newer food waste recycling programs. Yes. We play a game called Buzzword Bingo on the oh, show. Oh, okay. You said source-separable? Is that right? So, yeah, source-separated. Source-separated. So that qualifies as a buzzword that our listener is not familiar with. So tell us, I don't mean to break the flow, but no. they're, that they probably heard that, tried to process it, and didn't hear what we said after that anyway. So what is source-separated? So that's, uh, that's perfect. So a, a example of source-separate is the blue recycling container in front of your house. Right. So you're the source, and you're separating it at the source. So oh, it's at that the simple. home, Got at it. the business, materials being taken from the trash and put into a recycling container. So we call that source separated if it's being separated at the location where the Got waste it. is being okay. generated. And that has been robust and successful in this uh, community. And all of the communities on the South Coast here are pushing above a 70% diversion or recycling level right now. So uh, that's phenomenal, and it's certainly above the state average and way above the national average. So our communities are doing oh, great. 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 Uh, but the goal now is to get to 75%. Right. And as anybody in business or anybody that's ever tried to reach any goal knows, a lot of ground can be made up early in a process or a project in a business. Sure. And getting that last 25% or 10%, you're putting 90% effort to get that last that's 10% where you're, return. And that's where you're at so, right now. So that's where we are in this game now. And so one of the first things that we are uh, looking at is how do we get the rest of the material that's in the trash that doesn't need to be in there. There's some materials that are in the trash that we do have a better way of handling. They don't need to be buried. You know, there okay. is something okay. else we can do with them. And at this point, there's been two different commodity types, you know, that have been identified. And one of those are the traditional source-separated materials. So whether that be paper or cardboard or your bottles and cans, some of those still do not get recovered in the source-separated program. They end up in the trash. And, you know, that happens for a lot of reasons. We have a very large transient population in Santa Barbara being a destination location. You know, not everybody is aware of our recycling programs or maybe is, you know. They don't care or they're just not going to take the time. in a hurry, you know. So that's just one of the, you know, local issues that we have being a destination location. And, you know, there's other reasons, I'm sure, as well. But, you know, we have seen on average as far as what's in the trash based on some of our uh, waste characterization studies, which takes a look and sorts through the trash and say, hey, what do we have in our trash? Huh. Um, you know, about 30% of what's left uh, can be in that source-separated uh, recyclable type material uh, category. And another 30% is in a organics fraction, we call it. Organics would be green waste. Uh, organics would be food waste coming from, you know, restaurants in your home. You know, really post-consumer food waste, which is after it's been on your plate and then gets sure. put into the trash. You know, we do have uh, 
quite a robust in the city of Santa Barbara uh, pre-consumer food waste program where in the kitchens, you know, all of the pre-prep materials from the kitchen are are recycled, and that's a a great program. Now, I just heard about that where they – there's a project where they go and pick that up from the restaurants. They're composting that, and then I heard they're going to use that to – use it in the planters after Fiesta to cover up the confetti and the cigarette butts and things like that. Well, that's perfect. So yes, there is a program and uh, it is, you know, it's been going for several years now and all of the materials that we are collecting from the restaurants does get composted and then that material, you know, can be brought back and used in, you know, beneficial uses here locally. So it really is kind of a closed loop system. So it's, uh, you know, beautiful in the way it works and its simplicity and finding beneficial use for our waste. And that's kind of the model that we're trying to duplicate with, you know, all of our waste streams. It's interesting. We had another conversation about um, streams and it was, you know, waste streams as they could become food for other things, which is kind of what you're talking about. Yes. Right. So these, these various waste streams. Let's switch up a little bit the the person who's listening to us is a you know business owner um they i i don't know how much they're thinking about the trash that they generate or how much they're thinking about greening their business Uh, at this meeting uh, a couple of days ago there's a huge effort in santa barbara to make this idea of green business more uh uh, easily the resources easily uh consumable by the business leader. Mm-hmm. As a as an entrepreneur, I'm worried about you know a lot of things. Not my trash. <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not thinking about those kind of things. Yeah. I'm glad you're thinking about those. How does how does this tie into the the business community? What what are the kinds of what could they be thinking about that actually makes their business better because they're thinking about it? That's the question. There's the question. All right. So. The most practical, simple answer to that for your solid waste decisions is, you know, recycling is a lot less expensive for you as a business owner than your trash service. So if you want to save money, you're going to recycle more and you're going to throw away less. And that's going to increase our source-separated recyclable pile. That's going to get less of the organics and the traditional recyclables out of the trash can, and it's going to save the business owners money. And, you know, so that's a very, you know, a a simple way to look at it and probably the easiest way to get involved with, quote-unquote, greening your business. You know, we've, as a business, have taken, you know, some additional steps in becoming a certified green business through the uh, county and city of Santa Barbara's Green Business Certification Program, and that takes some additional steps. And most of those steps take initial capital, which is going to save you money down the road. So, you know, you're changing a little bit of investment. It does take investment. You know, you're, if you're going to change light uh, fixtures, if you're going to, you know, be looking to uh, use some alternative energies, if you want to get hooked into the city's reclaimed water system. You know, all of these options are greener options. They're less expensive options if you're willing to pay the capital up front and look at the return. And usually the larger the business, the quicker the return. 
So, you know, it's just how much you use those, those resources. And then there's arguments to be made for the marketing, the marketability of your business and showing that you're a responsible business. And, you know, are you, are you seeing that more? Yes. I mean, I've just seen it as a consumer. Just as a citizen. More and more. uh, That people are looking to, you know, be a valuable part of the community and different people have different ways of, you know, showing that value. And a lot of people are doing it through responsible business practices. And that may be through how they're taking care of their employees. It may be how they're taking care of the environment. And it may be how they're giving back to the community through nonprofit groups, through employees participating in in cleanups or other volunteer efforts. Uh, But I do see it as, you know, something businesses do and something as, uh, it's something that employees look for too when they're looking at, at businesses. I know when we're, you know, recruiting, for uh, positions, you know, we like to share what we stand for as a company, and the people that we interview certainly like to share with us what they stand for as sure. a person and what they want to be a part of. So I see value in it personally. Now, I, you know, I hadn't thought about that as a, a marketing tactic. We think about um, provenance and where things come from and craft, and right now there's we want to know that where the food came from. I want to know the name of the farmer. You know, I want to know. I want to know all of those kinds of things. So I, were what I heard was that knowing that the businesses, that business has responsible practices across the board, including what they're doing with waste management, which you don't normally think about. Absolutely not. No. Right. It's you're in one of those businesses. It's, it's it's hard to find the the spin on that. Right. Well, you know, usually the less that you think about us and hear from us, the better, right? <laughs> Everything's happening according to plan. You put it out, it gets taken away. You know, it's not a, you know, a high visibility business, um, you know, w- with the consumer and especially with business people, you know. And when you're worried or your, your focus should be on your business and what you need to be profitable and to market your business and to distinguish yourself on who you are and what you want to be. And so, you know, if we can provide some simple, you know, back of the house services that uh, you don't have to worry about, but that can give you some cost savings and that can, you know, maybe give you some, uh, you know, marketability for doing the right thing, then, you know, I, I think that's great. Did it take a long, uh, what's the process to become certified as a green business? Well, there's, you know, different levels. Or to start with, they, you contact the uh, county and the green business uh, certification folks, and they g- basically give you a checklist. So you have a, a long checklist that you need to earn a certain number of points in order to be certified. Sure. And depending on your business, that could be a lot of, you know, different things. If you're a large waste generator, you know, doing new recycling programs can add up to a lot of points. If you're a large energy generator, you know, finding ways to reduce your energy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, certainly gives you a lot of points. But, uh, you know, it's water usage, energy usage, uh, recycling, you know, different uh, products. So what you're ordering to use in your business, are you ordering products that have some recycling content uh, in them? Uh, are you using, 
cleaning supplies in your business that are toxic, or are you using other non-toxic alternatives? So supply you know, chain and all of that. Same thing with the uh, you know gardening pesticides. You know all of that uh, comes into play in the green business certification. And you know there are so many ways to do better. You know by these environmental and energy using usage standards that you know everybody has a path to get certified from what I've seen. Do people ask you about that? Is that something they quiz you about? Well, not in general, but the people that are looking to get certified, you know, we do play a big part of that and we do help a lot of businesses that are on that path. So oh, anybody that? that's how's interested that? in becoming a green business, you know, we usually work with on the recycling and diversion portion of their you know, green business application. And so we can certify for them and sign off what they are doing uh, in order to promote recycling, expand recycling, and handle their waste in the most responsible way. So, you know, we also provide, you know, consulting services uh, for businesses that are looking to get certified, you know, in the waste management and recycling uh, aspect of that. So let's stay on that for a second because yes. we love I love stories when you know the person who's listening to us there might be walking the dog or they're working out or they're cooking or they're juicing or they're doing something so stories are fun to listen to so tell me a story about a consulting project that was a little unusual or something I wouldn't have thought of as they had a problem and they really needed you to solve it okay good question well, you know, one of the, um, you know, one of the bigger green, one of the other green business uh, aspects that we are uh, really heavily involved in is on the construction side of, um, uh, of uh, in the construction business. Okay. And green building, lead certified building. Sure. And, you know, it has become uh, more and more required in order to get building permits to uh, be a green builder in some level of lead building. You know, it has been beneficial uh, in the permitting process. And there have been, uh, you know, a lot of people look for that and actually need to put their plans in as a lead certified building That's project more and in more order and to more, get yeah. their permits. Right. Um, but we also find a lot of folks that come in making those commitments perhaps to the uh, planning department to, uh, to build that way without having a full understanding of what, you know, what that actually means. So uh, we do spend a lot of time on projects uh, in, the, in the construction industry and going through their specific loads. So we actually go out to those sites and look through the trash, what they're generating, you know, what containers they may need and have uh, special recycling services at our recycling facility downtown where we, you know, will hand sort and sort through all of the construction materials in order to uh, get them to those lead, uh, you know, green building certifications. So just like the restaurant gets the case of onions and I've got a cut off the ends and you know I'm a chef so I'm going to yes. always go to the food story um, and then the onion skins and the 
that's the pre-consumer waste you were talking about. So you, you separate that out. You have a way to source separate that. The restaurant does that, and you have something mm-hmm. to do with that. So there's a lot of waste in food. I mean, the pre-consumer yes. stuff. There's a, there's a lot. Uh, and then the post. Unfor- it's unfortunate. So you just got me thinking about building a house or building a building. There's a lot of construction going on in, in the whole region now. We're not just Santa Barbara. We're Ventura and San Luis. Are there... Are there people thinking about not just building a green building, because I get that, energy mm-hmm. efficiency, all, all of the things that that means, but the actual building process is green. I'd never thought about that. Is that what you're talking about? That's, yeah, exactly what I'm talking about. And there actually is a whole handbook uh, to build in a, in a green in a green fashion and you know huh. through the contractors association they have a green green builders association as well the really? focus is just on this and so you know there are builders that just are, are green you know green building certified and they follow the handbook and you know they only build you know green buildings or or that is their focus and you know it is a you know now a very documented and regimented way you know, to do construction. It's not just a uh, ethereal feel-good statement. What percentage would you say? Of the builders that do it? Are, are, because we started off by saying, um, you know, there is investment. Now, unfortunately, recycling and being sustainable does mm-hmm. cost a little bit more. Hybrid cars a little more. There's All of those things are still a little bit more. What percent, how much more does it cost to have a, the sustainable green building process? would you say it depends on what level you want to uh, build to so you can go from you know platinum status which is the highest there's gold there's silver you know so there's different levels of you know leads uh, but that's certification the, that's that the resulting building though yes. right is there also lead certification for the process by which the building is built well it's one in the same it oh okay okay got it it's one and the same. So for people that want to be certified, it's, you know, it's how it's done results in how it's rated at the end of the day. Okay. So I didn't know that. So there we go. We learned something. How much, um, so what percentage of what's getting built now is at some level of leads? I'm going to guess a lot because you said it's tied into the building permit and it's already hard enough to get a building permit. So if you want to stack the cards in your favor, you're going to go that route. Yes. I, well, we've had a lot of recent success with the Tobes Group and their development projects being LEED certified. Uh, everything that I'm aware of that we've been involved with at UCSB uh, has been LEED certified. And you know those major projects that are, are currently in development you know, are all lead certified projects. So it's, uh, you know, for the amount of development we have here, which is relatively little for sure, sure. You know, most communities, uh, the amount of lead certified projects is way above average. So that's home, that's business and that's commercial and residential, right? Yes. So what is, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, the other kinds of things that Marburg does that we wouldn't normally associate with the the blue, green, and uh, gray cans in front of our house. 
what other things do you guys do that that can kind of contribute to the things I don't ha- so I don't have to think about it you are what are, what are some of those things well some of the things that get forgotten that uh, I will just uh, mention is that you know we also pick up all of your batteries and cell phones and uh, you mean what you just don't throw those in the trash? They don't throw those in the trash. Yeah, the universal waste, anything with a cord can't be thrown in the trash. So, um, and actually, batteries and cell phones we pick up every day that we pick up recycling. So those can just be put in a plastic bag, put on your recycle cart. The guys have a separate container on their recycle cart. They'll take those and put those in there. Um, we also offer free cleanups uh, twice a year to every residents that we uh that we're that we service and so you know you can put out large items you know replace a water heater a couch a mattress a computer clock radios you know whatever it is you have you can call us twice a year and we'll just come by and just pick for that free on everybody a, everybody you know all those hard to handle items whether it be you know electronics large items just call we, we come and pick those up for free um and a lot of that stuff is stuff that a lot of times gets illegally dumped. People don't know what to do with it. So there's an outlet for it. There's a free outlet for it, and it ends up getting recycled as well. So give us a call. We take care of that for free. Who – so do people buy this trash from you, buy the recycled material from you? Is there a market there? So there, there is a market. Yeah, there's a – volatile market for it so you know there's a market for the aluminum cans the glass bottles the plastic containers um, and there's a market for uh, some of the cardboard and paper and you know those markets go up and down so some plastics they take sometimes and you know other times it's at a you know zero value or you're paying to get rid of them so, you know, and a lot of it has to do with the petroleum prices and what's going on with oil. Uh, because a huh. lot of these recycling of the plastics, you know, especially anything other than a, you know, a plastic bottles, some of the other grades of plastics, you know, they are, well, all plastics are made out of petroleum products. Right. Um, but the reuse value goes, you know, down on some of the more rigid plastics, like, you know, five five-gallon bucket, you know, from Home Depot, those type of rigid plastics, you know, have less value than your, you know, water bottle. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons for that is the state of California has a bottle bill which kind of supports the recycling of beverage containers, you know, but there's not that same support other than free market support for recycling some of these other plastics. So, uh, we work hard to make sure that there are viable markets for, you know, all of these lower value, you know, commodities. And, you know, some of the materials that we recycle actually cost us money to get rid of. Really? And like? Uh, well, especially the stuff coming through at our uh, const- construction facility. But, uh, for example, wood. I was, uh, I was wondering where all the wood scrap goes. Yes, yeah, so all of the, you know, wood scrap. Um, you know, even, you know, staying on the construction, you know, side, all the rubble and concrete and all of that stuff coming from construction sites still costs us money to get rid of. You know, we'll bring it, we sort it, and we recycle it, you know, and where the value for us is doing that is it, it still costs less 
to get rid of it in a sorted, recycled uh, state than to take it to the landfill and landfill it. Oh, got it. Got so, it. you know, um, just because it doesn't have value, depending on what the transportation, you know, cost is, and that's kind of really where, you know, the economics where things become viable or not viable to, you know, recycle you is where the end market is for it. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Um, uh, another question, I mean, I've got a, a ton of them. What's the, what is the future of this? What is this business going to look like in 10 or 20 years? What, what are the, the big problem that need, the big problems that need to get solved that there are people in your industry that are focused on that would surprise us? Yeah. You know, I think the, uh, where the industry is going is you know, what we can do with the trash beyond just recycling. I believe it may become more of a energy-based business on taking the uh, trash and creating energy with it. It being, you know, the industry itself and, and being a hauler in this business, you know, from starting from a couple of kids pulling a wagon to having a few trucks going around a neighborhood, it's really become a infrastructure-based business and it's on the facilities that handle the waste Mm. that process that recycle that create energy you know versus the collection the collection is a necessary part of it but it is not what the business is anymore you know it's what you can provide as far as a resource to divert that material create some sort of economic value from the waste and that's really where we're where we're going you know we think we've you know, exhaust, not exhausted, but, you know, improving efficiencies in collection always has value, but finding what to do with the waste is where the emphasis is now and where the greatest value is for, you know, the community in general, and especially for, you know, Santa Barbara being a coastal community and, you know, having a landfill, you know, here in Santa Barbara, you know, it's going to be, you know, near impossible to put another landfill in Santa Barbara, you know, in Santa Barbara. And, and so what do we do? And so right now we are doing our best to preserve what we have now so we're not creating an additional right. landfill and, you know, the need for additional disposal capacity. And so by finding other uh, uses and valuable uses is kind of what our task is today. And that's base, best for the rate payer as well. Um, you know, anything that you can do that can create value out of the waste, you know, means that, you know, the overall cost for, you know, the trash service isn't going up. You know, if you build a new landfill and are just putting it in a new hole and you have to uh, pass all of the environmental regulations to, to the build a new right. landfill, you know, that is just going to be, you know, an ongoing escalating cost. So, Finding value for the waste is what we're looking at now. Let's switch gears again. Part of you're involved in the community. Marburg's been involved in the community now, what, 90 plus years. And I see your name up. You're a sponsor of, of the 805 project. You're sponsors of lots of things. What's the, we talked about uh, people uh, are communicated your values and you obviously have a lot of values as it relates to community, community service. Tell us, wh- where did that come from? Because not every company's like that. 
Yes, you're right. And, you know, it, it really comes from, you know, the Borgatello family and being a family business where, you know, Mario started as a little kid pulling a wagon around. You know, Do you have photographs of that? Absolutely. Ooh, we have some very early photographs. Oh, Not my gosh. Very early photographs, which are, yeah, it's amazing, a great piece of history. Um, but, you know, having the family directly involved in the business, and, you know, Mario passed away two years ago, but he was down at the office every single day, including really? the day that he passed, passed away, because, you know, it just meant that much to him. It's kind of what he had done with his life. His whole family was involved when it first started. You know, the sisters were on the floor writing up invoices by hand and you know it was something that started as you know a labor of love to support the family and you know his two sons uh, Mario and uh, David are now you know uh, running the business and their sons and daughters so there's a lot of family there and so you really do have that you know familial familial value there that is a is a community of the family and the employees, and it extends out, you know, beyond that. And being a private family business, you know, it's much different in the core values that the company has. There's no quarterly numbers to hit. You know, that's not where the decisions are being made. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that either in being a profitable business and doing what you promise to do for your shareholders. Uh, and you know, Marburg's committed to maintaining its viability as a as a business. However, you know, the decisions are made at a at a different level. And you know, we've taken uh, over contracts and employees from you know multinational and national companies, and we've competed against. You know, we have competed against two of the largest companies, waste management companies on the planet, and so you know. We're, you know, well aware of what requirements they have and, you know, how they need to do business and how they do business. And, you know, some of what they needed to do, you know, was uh, a lot more tied to, you know, what New York needed to see in their numbers versus what Santa Barbara, you know, the needs of the community were. So um, I would say that that's probably where a lot of it, you know, comes from just the structure of the business, the history of the business, you know, and the family that's, you know, running the business, I think, is more concerned with, you know, how they can, you know, help the community and, you know, what they're going to feel when they go to the grocery store and, you know, see somebody there about how they're running their business versus, you know, some numbers on a, you know, on a financial statement giving them the know, feeling right. of how they're running their business. So it's, uh, I think it's just a different perspective on how they value the business um, is kind of how that translates into the community support. I love that this region is 21 small towns knit together by the 101, and we're not a big city, and we do run into the people we do business with all of the time, everywhere. And that's one of the great attractions for this region. I'm glad that they're committed to that. And they've actually, uh, the Borgatellos have have been around pre-environmental movement, a part of that. I mean, Earth Day having Mm -hmm. started here in Santa Barbara and having um, the 
ability to be right with the people who are making those decisions. Like I'm sure you're involved the community environmental council and you guys are involved in so many different things that you're helping to make this community very sustainable and you're aware of all of those things and helping the businesses. And thank you for, for all of that work that you guys do. This has uh, been an interesting conversation. You know, I was, when, when we've talked just, you know, at, at the dojo and I hear about the things you're doing, it, you're right, you don't think about it. But we yeah. drive by that big facility uh, right on the 101 as you come into Santa Barbara, you've got that big, is that a sorting facility? It is a sorting facility, yes. What was that? Was that? Did you build that, or was that something else that you converted, or? No, we built that. So that was originally owned by uh, Union Pacific Railroad, and then about you know fifteen years or so ago, they started divesting a lot of their property in general throughout the United States, and kind of that little corridor right there was um, part of the their properties there. So uh, there was uh, some building supply. Uh, there and you know other you know miscellaneous construction storage type right, facilities right. that were renting from uh, Union Pacific at the time, and uh, we were doing a small sorting operation across the street where our yard was, where we kind of uh, repaired our trucks and parked our trucks mm, in the mm. evening. We had a small sorting project that uh, Brian Borgatello, Mario's son, had uh, started during high school, and so as that. Uh, recycling program expanded and Union Pacific put that uh, property on the market. We uh, purchased that with the vision of developing this uh, construction and demolition recycling facility and uh, so and we built that. Oh building. so that's the main focus of it is to serve that construction yes and demo yes. right Oh my gosh well, you know, Derek, this has been really interesting. We didn't even get into your skydiving. you're a skydiver, <laughs> right? Are you still a skydiver? Once. You did it once. Okay, so I heard the story once, but yes. if you did it once, I mean, that's, that's a thousand times more than I'm ever going to do it. And I want to thank you very, very much for coming on the show and for being a sponsor uh, of our project. This is, you know, a community effort that takes a bunch of people to make this happen. And as a catalyst for conversation and getting people to think about things they wouldn't normally think about, someone wants to um, have a conversation about greening their business how do they get a hold of you i uh, just call the number on your trash can or your trash <laughs> bin ask for derek and uh, i'd be happy to uh, talk with you about that uh, the number is also on the truck so it's really easy to find us you got the cleanest trucks in the business is that like a point of pride for you guys i, I just it's amazing trash trucks are clean trucks you know, it's not only a point of pride for us, you know, but I hear from other people in the community saying, oh, I saw your drivers. They were, you know, pulled over the side of the road for lunch and polishing their tires. It, you know, it's a source of pride for the, you know, the guys on the route as well. You know, it's it's their office and, you know, it's sure. their business and it reflects, you know, on them, their service and how they present. And, you know, it really is something that flows through the uh, organization. You know, th there's pride. A lot of pride in the uh, trash service, which uh, normally you wouldn't think of when you, uh, you know, think about trash in general. But uh, the people that are picking up your trash have a lot of pride uh, in that job. Well, thank you very much. And on behalf of all of us who use that service, thanks for being so efficient at it. So one of the things we get to do in the show is we get to name the episode. 
So we get to come up with a fun name for it because we don't, people don't know who we are, but if we've got an intriguing title or something like that. So um, I, I'm trying to think of something. There's something about green business in there, or what you're not thinking about. What Do you got something come to mind? Oh, something coming to mind. Um, let's see. Uh, how about... Hmm. Uh, We'll think about that. And we'll it. listen to the, the show again, and we'll come up with something clever. And we've got people all the way to the end. So I want to thank again to California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services for sponsoring the show. Our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press, for this great studio. And Cielo24, who provides the searchable captions for our show. The 805 Connect Project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. We want to thank them as well. More information on our partners at 805connect.com. So now remember, uh, we could use your support for this show. We're, we're getting started here. And uh, the way that we get into the new and notable section of iTunes is by getting reviews and subscriptions and people giving us rankings. So... If you've just finished listening to our show and you've got, you were inspired, you got some information, please go into iTunes right now, give us a good rating, leave us a little comment, that'll be important, and then tell a friend uh, that you learned something interesting today. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. Mm-hmm.